Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Mistress Mia's Dungeon. I'm your hostess, Mistress Mia, and this is Mistress Mia's Bedtime Stories. Today I read you Escape from Dominatrix Island, Part 3. A group of guards in black leather roughly escorted me to a chamber located near the large set of doors where I had been led into the citadel. Several walls of this chamber were covered with mostly empty racks, containing the flat-heeled riding-style boots that the women seemed to be wearing, patrolling the grounds and narrow coastline. A large pile of those boots were in the middle of the stone floor. Some were relatively clean, but others were coated in mud. It seemed their search for jet-ski wreckage, or maybe other intruders, had been pretty thorough. Perhaps it would continue through the night. Only two of the female guards stayed in the room with me. Although I was pretty sure the others were outside and close by, they adjusted the chain lengths between my shackles so I had more freedom of my arms. One of the ladies took a boot from off the floor over to the trowel with a faucet on the wall. She spoke to me in the foreign language as she scrubbed the boot under the faucet with an old-fashioned style brush that looked like a small wooden paddle with coarse bristles attached on one side. She then curiously made this licking motion towards the clean boot, as if I were to lick the boot after I washed it. Then it was placed on the rack. The guard pointed to the pile of boots on the floor, handed me the scrub brush, and they both laughed. As I washed the first boot, the two guards just seemed to ignore me. Lighting cigarettes and chatting away like good friends. It really didn't take too long to scrub off the grime, but as I did... I noticed the size number on the sole and realized there would be some sorting to be done as I put them on the rack. A better look at the rack showed me that certain areas were labeled for different sizes. I also assumed that some boots were more heavily worn than others, and since they had no distinguishing marks other than size, I would just need to pair them up as the best I could based on their condition. No, 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 said one of the guards as she scolded me. I walked away from the boot rack. She stuck out her tongue with a licking motion and pointed to the boot I had just put away. The two women were sitting on tall wooden stools by a workbench. It looked like there was a small pile of boots there, spiked heels broken off, waiting to be repaired. I then saw the guard had a riding crop, and she whipped it through the air threateningly. I had thought she was joking about licking the boot before putting it away, but that wasn't the case. She didn't seem to be satisfied until I had ran my tongue over the entire boot, including the sole. As the pile of boots on the floor dwindled down, my mouth got dry from all the licking. I had to cut my hands under the faucet several times to drink some water. The guards had become preoccupied in conversation with another pair that stopped in to toss their gritty boots on the pile. Well, at first I was surprised that the second pair didn't pay much attention to me, I thought that the rumor and gossip mill here had to run quickly. No doubt every woman knew I was here and what I was doing. All four of the women only had a single silver stripe on the sleeves of their jacket. Perhaps the gossip flowed quicker among the lower ranks. That worked out well for me, for them. They were preoccupied. I didn't have to be as thorough with the bootlicking. After the other women had left 
and I had licked all the last boots and put it on the rack, I guard pointed to a broom that was leaning in a corner. That would be the first of many sweeping assignments at the Citadel. As I swept up the grit, the dried mud, and numerous crushed cigarette butts, the two guards looked over the racks of boots. I assumed they were checking to make sure I had sorted them properly. As I put the broom away, the two guards called out to me. They were sitting on their tall stools again, tapping riding crops in the palms of their hand. One of them made the licking motion and then tapped the tip of the riding crop on her spiked heel. My mouth was dry, but I was pretty sure there was no way they would let me go to the water trial first. I just had to kneel in front of her and start licking her boots. Their knee-high boots looked like they were made of a fine-quality leather that was warm with their body. And somewhat pleased on my tongue after licking who knows how many pairs of rubber boots that had been run under a cold-water faucet. The toes of the boots came to a gentle point. A zipper went up inside of the shaft, and the slender heels might have been maybe four inches high. They were the sort of boots a woman might wear after hours, and probably not to an office. Certainly not appropriate for any military force, although they seemed to be part of some paramilitary unit at least. Well, (laughs) at first the two guards appeared to be wearing identical pairs of boots. I did notice they were slightly different in the stitching. Where the shaft met the base of the boot, any military would have had a standard uniform, including the boots. I was then taken to what looked like a holding cell in an old castle dungeon with a large arched opening covered with iron bars and a heavy gate. Once I was locked inside, the ladies reached in through the bars, removed my shackles, and walked away down the hall. The cell was large, dimly lit, and had what looked like a comfortable bed. A chamber pot bucket, like I had used earlier in the interview room, was in one corner. On a table was a small loaf of bread, a bowl that was slimy gruel, but also a mug of broth, still steaming as if freshly poured. Most interesting to me, though, was an old cast-iron radiator against one wall, and it was giving off an amazing amount of heat. I'd been so chilled and naked in an old stone fortress all day, so I wrapped myself in a blanket from the bed, pulled the stool from the table over to the radiator, and sat down to enjoy the hot broth. Down the corridor I could hear faint, muffled voices of at least two guards, and I assumed they'd be standing watch down there all night. After I finally ate the gruel, I was ready to go to sleep. It had been a long and stressful day. That was when the voices down the hall stopped, and I heard the sound of high heels slowly coming up down the passageway towards my cell. It was the tall blonde woman that dressed all in silver and with tall boots. She stood a distance away from the bars and just looked at me for what seemed like a long time. I'm guessing you're the person in charge here. You interrupted Anastasia a few times during that interrogation, so maybe you can understand me. I just want to go home. Then I noticed she was carrying a thick, unlit cigar in one of her hands. She raised it to her lips and very neatly bit off the tip, lightly spitting it on one side, taking out her lighter. She puffed on the cigar for a while, still eyeing me with a blank expression on her face. Cigar? She asked with a pleasant tone of her voice. I didn't know what that meant, but 
She held out the cigar towards me, and I assumed it was some cruel trick. But for the sake of getting it over with, I walked up to the bars and slowly reached for the cigar, expecting her to snatch it away. To my surprise, she let me take it. I'm by no means a regular cigar smoker and wouldn't know a good one from a cheap one, but I took a few puffs and nodded with satisfaction. When I thanked her and reached the cigar out to return it to her, she turned and walked away, leaving it for me to enjoy before turning in for the night. The next morning, I was awakened by the sound of high-heeled boots echoing down the passageway. It was two guards in black leather, and they handed me a bowl of gruel with a spoon, a small loaf of the usual bread, and a mug of the broth through an opening of the bars. While the menu here had a lot to be desired, I was surprised that I had slept really well. I wasn't even finished eating when I heard a large group of women approaching. Anastasia dressed as yesterday in her black thigh-high boots and matching shorts, silver leather jacket glowing in the dim lights, and four ladies with her in knee-high boots and black leather jackets as well. They were carrying chains and shackles. Stand by the gate, Anastasia ordered. We take you to medical check, replace bandages. After the ladies had all chained me up, I was roughly hustled down the corridor. Along the way, I noticed that most of the pain was gone in my feet. Whatever medicine they'd put on my cuts yesterday, painfully as it had been, it seemed to work rather quickly. At the infirmary, I was once again forced down on the cold metal table and secured in place with wide leather straps. Do they really have to strap me down like this? I pleaded with Anastasia. Anastasia didn't answer me, but said a few words to the other women in foreign language and then walked out of the room. All of a sudden, I cried out in pain as the women swarmed over me, ripping bandages off my body. I was gasping and panting, but as painful as it was, it was at least over quickly. A brunette woman, with three silver stripes on the sleeve of her black jacket, took a jar of the orange fluid from a metal cabinet, and I realized there was more pain to come as she began soaking thick wads of cotton in it. I recognized that she was one of the women that patched me up yesterday. Although I couldn't move much because of all the restraints, I tried not to flinch as she roughly cleaned my wounds and applied fresh bandages. Her painful first aid got good results, and I didn't want to make her job difficult. The other women just lit up cigarettes and chatted with each other while she worked, and a few of them even stepped inside the room. Eventually, all the women left the room, but they stood outside, maybe waiting for the medication to soak in or maybe waiting for other orders. After what seemed like a long time, a large group of women in black leather entered the infirmary and began to release me from the table. They were being directed by a woman in black thigh-high boots and a silver jacket, similar to Anastasia's uniform, but this woman had three black stripes on her sleeve, her hair dark and was pulled back in a ponytail, and I recognized her as the leader of the group that had found me yesterday on the shore. I thought they might take me back to the cell where I had spent the night, or maybe a room where I'd be interrogated. Instead, I was led through a maze of corridors, eventually ending up in a large room with a high ceiling and windows covered with bars. It looked like some S&M torture chamber you'd see when surfing porn on the internet. 
for all sorts of whips and paddles and chains on the wall. In the center of the room was a wooden framework built of heavy timbers, and just beyond, Anastasia sat behind a table. One of the binder notebooks opened as she calmly flipped through the pages and smoked a cigarette. I started to freak out and told her there was no need to torture me, and I would answer any questions she wanted. I swore I had told the truth yesterday. Anastasia didn't look up from her notes. The other woman in the silver was directing the young ladies in black leather as they strapped my body into some elaborate harness of black leather straps, while at the same time removing some of the metal shackles and chains I'd been forced to wear. One of the first things I did was connect one of my leg irons to the base of the wooden frame so there would be no chance of me running away. The harness was then anchored by numerous points to the heavy frame, so I was firmly mounted in place, standing upright, yet my body leaning forward slightly. My arms were pulled back to my sides and strapped to the upright supports, and one of the ladies slid a long wooden trowel in between my legs on the floor, as if they expected me to lose control of my bladder or worse. When at last I was secured, the women stood either to the sides or behind me. The only sound was Anastasia occasionally turning pages in one of her notebooks. Her cigarette had burned down to the butt. She flicked it towards me, and it came dangerously close to hitting my exposed penis before landing in the trowel on the floor between my legs. I asked questions again today, mostly the same questions as yesterday. Again, I ask you nicely, so you answer nicely. I will provide you pain and distraction. Your test battery yesterday says you do not like dominatrix's games, so that will make time short here. This isn't necessary. Ask me anything you want, I tried to tell her. However, it was no use. She called out to the ladies in black leather, gave some instructions in their language, and two women walked over to a wall. Each of them took down a medium-sized wooden paddle, High-heeled boots clicking on the floor, they walked behind me, one standing on either side. I saw Anastasia give a small nod of her head, and one of the ladies gave me a firm swat on the left cheek of my ass with her paddle. That was quickly followed by the other one swatting me on the right. The swats hurt, but I was surprised they were not more painful, if, if that makes any sense. However, I got worse from there because they didn't stop. It just went on and on, each one giving a swat back and forth, the sound of the wooden paddles smacking against my bare buttocks, echoing in that tall room like some perverted tennis match. The pain and the burning and the paddling seemed to sink deeper into my buttocks, and before long, I was gasping with pain with each swat landing on my backside. Tears in my eyes, I begged Anastasia to make them stop but she coldly lit up a cigarette and got up from her chair to slowly walk around behind me, maybe to inspect their work or perhaps worse, to join in. I heard her say something to the two women and the paddling stopped. Gasping for breath, I thanked them over and over again, even though Anastasia was probably the only one who understood what I was saying. As she turned to the seat across from me, she gave orders to another woman. I begged for mercy not even sure what she was going to do. However, she simply pulled a rag from a bucket of water, wrung it out, and wiped the tears from my eyes and the snot from my nose. I thanked her repeatedly as she walked away. Now, 
Anastasia said firmly to get my attention. You will tell story of how you came here. She already knew. I told her yesterday. But there was no way I was going to argue with her. Anastasia wrote down notes as she did yesterday, but it looked like she had notes from the other day out on the table and was probably comparing, checking for lies, but there wouldn't be anything. I told her the truth, assuming I had nothing to lose. Periodically, one of the ladies behind me would swat me on the ass with her paddle. I flinched every time, and there was a few times I thought I heard them giggle. Then I got to the part of my story where I was found by the first group of three ladies. The one wearing the silver jacket seemed to be in charge. You only have two black stripes in your jacket, but she had three like your ranks. The women in silver are like officers, and yesterday they were the only ones with walkie-talkies and pistols. Anastasia had been taking notes without expression. She suddenly stood up and approached me. You tell me you have no military or weapons training. Do you know of any pistols, but know of this kind of pistol and less common in your homeland? Why is that? She demanded to know. Pain and distraction stir memory, she asked with an accusing tone. Behind me, I heard the sound of high heels slowly approaching across from the stone floor. A woman came from behind the side of the heavy wooden framework. It was the tall blonde with the elaborate hair braids. I had no idea she was in the room. Dressed in her usual silver jumpsuit and matching thigh-high boots, she took in a long drag on a half-smoked cigarette and dropped it into the trowel between my feet. There was some quiet yet intense conversation between her and Anastasia. They said something about... Guns, and I don't know what else, but I could make out nothing. I blurted out how this kind of pistol had been a fad for a while with some of my co-workers, and that was how I knew what they looked like. They scowled at me. I'm sorry I interrupted you both. I hastily apologized, realizing I may have made my situation even worse. I didn't think to mention the guns or the ranks you have. I'm, I'm pretty sure she's she's the one in charge here. I said, tilting my head towards the tall blonde. The two women argued quietly some more. Anastasia began flipping through pages in one of the binders, evidently proving her point, as the blonde woman in the tall silver boots gave a sigh of disgust and walked off to one side. Anastasia called out to someone behind me and gave some instructions. It was the woman who wore the silver jacket with the three stripes, the one I had been talking about. She walked with purpose in her black thigh-high boots over to the wall behind Anastasia's table. She took down a long, coiled black whip. "'You have already met Eula,' said Anastasia. "'She is expert with bullwhip, normally not used for playing games except for threat, enforced stress.' Eula walked a distance behind me and began cracking the whip, the lash snapping loudly just inches behind me. Anastasia popped open the rings in one of her binders, removed a page, and brought it over to me, but held it behind her back so I couldn't see what was on it. On the page is wiring diagram from yesterday. Simple timer for explosive device. You have ten seconds to cut one wire to stop explosion. 
Eula will provide explosion. Anastasia gave a brief nod of her head, and the whip cracked loudly just to one side of my ass, and I swear I could feel the breeze of the lash as it popped. You should not guess like the other day. Explosion is painful, Anastasia said. I was barely aware of her giving a hand signal, and I'm still not sure if I heard the crack of the whip, but I immediately felt a hot and forceful impact that felt as if it plunged deep inside the right cheek of my ass. I was still groaning with pain when the one guard in black leather wiped my face clean with the wet rag. Behind me, someone was applying some kind of salve to what must be a wound on my butt. When at last I had calmed down, Anastasia held up the diagram in front of me. Ten seconds before explosion, she said with surprising calm. Her simple diagram was a tangle of colored lines with symbols like some road map of hieroglyphics. I looked intently, knowing time was running out quickly. The blue wire! I shouted out. Anastasia held up one hand, and I sensed she had stopped Eula just in time. Why blue wire? Anastasia asked. Why blue wire? She asked again. Turning the page slightly so that she could see the diagram. Is this a guess? The blue wire goes to that plus sign on the black rectangle. Right? Is that what you're telling me? I'm thinking it's the battery that powers the timer of the detonator, right? No power, no explosion, I explained. The silence was long and very uncomfortable. I heard the click of a cigarette lighter somewhat behind me. Blue wire is good answer, Anastasia said calmly, and slowly walked back to the table. She replaced the page in the binder and snapped the ring shut. Then she flipped through some more pages and removed one of them with a devious smile. Again, hiding the page from my view, she approached me. Perhaps you are more clever than you show. I have diagram for more complicated detonator, multiple power sources, and what you call booby traps, Anastasia said with an evil grin. I will give you 20 seconds. There would be no countdown. I heard the tall blonde speaking from behind me to Anastasia with an irritated tone of voice. She walked up faster than usual and took the page from Anastasia's hand. I caught a glimpse of the diagram. There was no way I had figured it out in 20 seconds. The blonde in the silver boots was pointing at the diagram and clearly displeased with Anastasia. Then she pointed at my hands and squeezed my thin biceps as she did yesterday. Some of her language was the same too, but I didn't understand what it meant. What is she saying? I dared to ask. She says you're not an operator. Operator? What What the hell? I don't answer phones. I told you, I work in an office. Anastasia was walking back to her table. And after putting the diagram back in the binder and giving the rings a loud snap shut, she said, Operator, one who does convert operations. Commando, SEAL, James Bond. A few of the ladies behind me giggled and then stopped when the tall blonde turned to look at them. She spoke once again to Anastasia, who looked defeated, at least for now. 
The blonde, all in silver, gave orders to the other women who began to unbuckle me from the leather harness, though they left one of my ankles shackled with a short chain to the base of the wooden frame. A low table was brought over to me along with a small cushion to kneel on. Anastasia had been rifling through one of the binders, brought over a stack of papers, and slammed them down on the table. Take battery test again. Draw detailed pictures of private vessel and small watercraft, she said. She spilled the ink bottle when she roughly sat it on the table along with the fountain pen. There will be distractions, she added before, and she walked out of the room, high heels stomping loudly on the stone floor. The tall blonde followed her out and closed the door behind them. I gave a quick glance around the room before turning to the paperwork. Eula was the only one left in the room wearing a silver jacket. Thankfully, she was coiling up the whip and walking towards the wall where I assumed she would hang it up. There were about six ladies in black leather. The two had spanked me earlier. They had set their paddles down and were smoking cigarettes, and Eula called the others over to the wall to begin to hand out what looked like riding crops and slim bamboo rods. Then she spotted me looking around. She called out to me, though I didn't understand her, and made a motion with her hands as if writing on paper. Clearly she was in charge for now, so I focused my attention on the tests. They were the same ones from yesterday, and for some reason I seemed to be able to get through them even faster. Every now and then one of the women in black leather would walk over to me and give me a light flick of her crop or cane on my sore bottom. Sometimes they would circle around the table first, high-heeled boots slowly clicking on the stones. Other times they might swish their crop through the air behind me, giggle, and then walk away, leaving me untouched. It was distracting, as Anastasia had promised. The usual food was brought in after a while, and Anastasia stopped in brief to collect portions of the tests I had completed and drop off that old calculator. I'd been working on the drawings, and she gave them a critical look but said nothing. After chatting for a few minutes with us, Eula just left the room. Now, I hate to give their interrogation techniques any credit, but it felt as if I was doing better on the tests or at least trying harder on some of the math and science problems. I also had the idea they weren't finishing torturing me. I, um, I thought that the longer I spent on the test, though, the shorter time I might spend trussed up in that wooden frame. One of the ladies came over and stood by me, placing one of her feet up on the low, wobbly table. She tapped the toe of her knee-high boots and the tip of her riding crop, looking up. I saw it was one of the two women from last night in the boot room. Her reddish-brown hair worn in a single, thick braid down her back. I gave the top of her boot a few licks, assuming that was what she wanted. Eula only walked over to me a few times, and never seemingly in tended on distracting me, but only checking on my progress. When I was near the end of the test, she sent one of the guards out of the room, assuming to get Anastasia and the blonde who seemed to be their leader. Only Anastasia returned this time, though. She looked frustrated, but issued orders calmly to the women in black leather. 
They promptly surrounded me, pulled me to my feet, and roughly strapped me into the leather harness again. I pleaded with Anastasia. I've been honest with you. Ask me any more questions you have. I answered the test as best I could. Just no more paddles or whips, please. My eyes were already tearing up. You stall for time. Dilly-dally, as you say. I am not pleased. Anastasia said, leaning back in her chair and lighting a cigarette. She gave a brief nod of the head and monotonous paddling began on my already sore bottom. Groaning in pain, I struggled and pulled at my restraints, but was barely able to move. I begged for Anastasia to order the spanking to stop, but she just avoided any eye contact, swiveled her chair a bit to one side, and occasionally took a drag on a cigarette. When at last she had flicked her butt into the trowel between my feet, she quietly gave the order for the spanking to stop. My Kogolas enjoy making pain for you. It is my turn now. Anastasia said calmly. Getting up from her chair, she walked over the wall behind her where a worn-out, flat-heeled rubber boot was usually as it stood as the holder of some slim bamboo cane. She pulled out one of her longest rods and swiped it through the air with a menacing hiss. I stalled for time. I admit it. I I didn't want to be paddled anymore. Please. Please, I've answered your questions and your tests honestly. My voice sounded pathetic, but I felt I'd been pushed beyond the limit of what pain and my body could even handle. She walked around behind me, still periodically whipping her cane through the air. I imagined it would feel like being slashed with a hot wire on my already burning ass. Anastasia, a soft voice called out, and then continued to speak in her language. I recognized the voice as that of the tall blonde. Evidently, she had come back in the room and had been watching. Without a word, Anastasia came back from around the wooden frame, set her cane down on the table, and began to go through the day's notes. So, Mr. Van, you do office work for criminals. Are invited aboard large private vessel, not told destination or how long voyage take. And you ask no questions. Liquor and whores on board are all you care about, Anastasia said with a tone of disapproval. You are most time in cabana, drunk, in bed with whore. Comrade, say your life in danger. See, island at night and escape on small watercraft? Did not think to bring gun? Or whore? Anything? Only care about self? Your claim crashed into rocks? I tell you we find no wreckage. After searching almost two days? She flipped to another page of her note. You make bandages at shore through no medical or survival training. Claim it was an obvious thing to do. Well... When found by patrols, you observe rank stripes on clothing, and those who wear silver are elite. What you call officers and carry gun, which was what? You call a fad, and that is how you recognize? This is all such a story you tell me now. That's it, I said, trying to sound as convincing as possible. I don't know why you won't believe me. 
Anastasia just walked out of the room without saying another word. I heard the tall blonde speaking again, and soon I was being released from the heavy wooden frame and harness. I've never felt such a relief in my life. The guards took me to the boot room again, where the pile of rubber boots on the floor was only about half as large as yesterday. Perhaps their search for jet ski wreckage was winding down. If they gave up, I wasn't sure how that was going to even work for me. After the chains of my shackles were loosened, all of the guards walked out, except for two of them, the same ones from yesterday. I told them I knew what to do, even though they probably didn't understand me, and just picked up a boot off the floor and walked over to the wash trowel. They seemed okay with that before. Before, I put the first clean boot on the rack. I turned to face them so they could see I was licking it. One of them nodded in approval. They had been chatting and smoking cigarettes and paying no attention to me. One of them had been in the interrogation, and the other one wore her reddish-brown hair in a thick braid. They both had the same rank of one silver stripe, but the one with the braid did most of the talking, while the other just listened intently. I assumed she was telling her co-worker all the details of my interrogation. At one point, she said, <laughs> James Bond, and they laughed hysterically. As I was taking another boot off the floor, a pair of women, dressed in black leather, walked into the room. They were carrying pairs of black leather knee-high boots with high heels, which I assume they planned to change into. After they took their rubber boots, they were spattered with mud. When one of the ladies started to remove her boot, the woman with a thick braid called out to her, and she stopped. She said something to me that I didn't understand, but that pointed to the two women and then made a licking motion. I knew she wanted me to lick the mud off of her boots. The other two women, they also had the rank of a single stripe. They started laughing at the idea and started pointing at their boots and waving me over. The lady with the reddish-brown braid had circled around me to the wash trough and picked up the paddle-shaped scrub brush. She waved it menacingly and made whining, crying noises to mock me. Degrading and nasty as it was, my ass was so sore I didn't want to be swatted with the backside of that brush, so I quickly got down on my hands and knees and began to lick the mud off their boots. The mud had a salty taste and was probably from the shore of the island, a mix of seawater and grime. I discreetly let small clumps of it fall out of my mouth onto the floor, just no way I was going to swallow it. They laughed at me, except that they started talking maybe about their day's search and I know the lady with the braid was telling them about my interrogation because she periodically made whining sounds and once again said James Bond, which got them all laughing. Another pair of women came in and I noticed their boots were not as dirty. Very quickly, the woman with the braid handed me the scrub brush and started saying something to me while pointing at the wash trowel. A quick glance at the two ladies who had just walked into the room. Both wore black leather jackets one with two stripes on their sleeve while the other had three. It seemed their playtime was over, and I was glad to get back to work. The women of higher rank carried on some serious conversation with the group, and somehow that made me nervous. Several other women came in, and although they tossed the rubber boots on the pile and walked out, they still laughed at me. So, needless to say, I didn't know what was going to happen. When at last I was done cleaning the rubber boots and I had swept the floor, only the woman with two stripes and the original 
Two boot room guards were all still there, smoking and chatting. I looked at them as if I were to be completely done. I leaned the broom in the corner, and the woman with two stripes in her jacket motioned with one finger for me to come over. She pointed to the spiked-heeled boot that she now wore. I would end up licking the leather high-heeled boots with all three of the women there as well as another straggled in to toss her rubber boots on the floor and zipped on her leather pair of heels. It seemed like I would never get out of the boot room that evening. When I was taken back to my cell, my buttocks was too sore to sit down. I was covered with a blanket and kneeling in front of the radiator and drinking a mug of hot broth when I heard high heels approaching. I knew the sound of the slow and easy yet perfectly measured pace. The tall blonde, her hair now braided in a different style, stood outside the bars in her silver thigh-high boots and matching jumpsuit. I didn't get up. I just continued sipping my broth while she coolly lit a cigar. After a while, she motioned for me to come over to the bars. When I did, she made a shrugging motion of her shoulders, as if she wanted me to remove the blanket. Then she held an index finger up in the air and swirled it around. So I let the blanket fall to the floor and slowly spun around. I assumed she wanted to inspect the damage. She harshly called out some orders to someone at the guard post down the hall. Soon afterwards, a low-ranking woman in black leather showed up with a jar of some sort of cream and some gauze. With hand signals and words I couldn't understand, I was instructed to stand as close as possible with my back to the bars. I had expected their antiseptic or whatever it was. It was for a burn, but instant it was cooled and had the slight numbing effect. When the guard had been dismissed, the blonde and silver who had allowed her cigarette to go out made an elaborate show of relighting it, and then she handed it to me. I expected her to walk away as she did the night before, but instead she unzipped a pocket on her jumpsuit and pulled out a slim silver metal flask and a matching shot glass. She poured a clear liquid into the small cup and drank it down smoothly. Then she filled the shot glass again and handed it to me. Vodka? She asked pleasantly. I reached out and gently took the slim metal shot glass, realizing I had known her offer had been genuine and not a cruel trick to snatch it from me the last second. The vodka was strong and it burned my throat on the way down. Though I tried to keep a straight face, I know she saw me wince as a smile flashed for a brief second on her face. After I handed the small metal cup back to her, the woman walked down the hall in her usual easy pace, the sound of high heels on stone eventually fading away. The next morning, the usual food was brought to me by two ladies in black leather and knee-high boots as usual. They kept making motions as they wanted me to eat quickly. Then Anastasia showed up with several other guards in black leather and said I would be taken for another medical check. At the infirmary, I was forcefully bent over the table while the medic lady rubbed some sort of salve on my buttocks, which still burned from yesterday. Then I strapped down on the table again, and it seemed as if the ladies were actually competing to see who could rip off the bandages and get the best reaction out of me. The pain was not as bad as it was before. Perhaps after yesterday's interrogation, I was building up a tolerance for pain. In reality, though, my wounds seemed to be healing quickly, and the medic lady didn't use nearly as much antiseptic 
and the new bandages were fewer and smaller. I was left strapped down to the table, and all of the women left the room. Only two cards in black leather remained, but they stood outside the door. I'd assumed that Anastasia would question me some more, but would it be in the first room that I was in? I don't know. Or would they be taking me down to that dungeon again? Maybe they had some sort of other interrogation method that would be worse. Anastasia walked into the infirmary, twirling something on one of her fingers. She held it in front of my face so I could see it. A bright yellow plastic wrist strap attached to a coil cord with a plug of some sort on the other end. Safety interlock. What you call... Kill switch. Just like your drawing, she said. Yeah, hell yeah, I exclaimed. I told you I tossed it down on the shore before I ripped it up on my rope from bandages. You found it! I was excited beyond belief. Other wreckage found. Is being recovered now. You come see, she said. Anastasia called in the other two women in black leather, and they had been standing guard outside the room. And they unstrapped me from the table, and to my surprise, most of the shackles were removed except for my hands. They were left cuffed in front of me. After going through some long corridors, we came to a pair of large steel doors that were propped open. Inside was what looked like an elevator shaft enclosed with a rusty metal cage and a narrow metal stairway that circled around the outside of the shaft and down into the darkness. I could hear what sounded like a truck engine running somewhere far down below. Perhaps the elevator was out of order because I was led down the metal stairway. It, it seems like it would be dangerous to walk down in high heels and in a darkness, but the ladies managed just fine. There was no other landing off the shaft, and the stairs seemed to go down forever. At the bottom was a large chamber. The truck I had heard turned out to be an ancient-looking diesel motor that powered some sort of hoist. It looked like a cross between a winch and a chairlift from a ski resort. Heavy cables wound over a series of overhead pulleys and ran out of a large set of steel doors above an open area at the edge of the cliff. Then down over the side and out of sight, something was being hoisted up. And this concludes Escape from Dominatrix Island, Part 3. Stay tuned next Friday for Part 4. And until then, make all your fantasies become a reality.